Good afternoon, and it's another edition of the 21 News Podcast. This is the latest in our series of interviews with all of the candidates who are vying for the Senate seat that will be up for grabs in 2022 at the end of Rob Portman's term. On the Republican side, a handful of candidates looking to garner favor with the Trump wing of the party, often at odds with the Ohio governor, Mike DeWine. On the Democratic side, something of a Bernie versus Biden microcosm with a well-established moderate congressman running against an upstart progressive challenger. So with us today is that well-established candidate, Congressman Tim Ryan. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start out by uh, just asking you the way I've started all of these podcasts to just ask you to define yourself as a candidate. What would you say are your top key issues in this race? The economic well-being uh, of all the people uh, that have been left behind, you know, making sure that they're cut in on the deal. Um, there's been huge growth in, in our country over the last 30 or 40 years, but there's also been a concentration of wealth. You know, I mean, if if the average worker had an increase in their wages, like a CEO had in the last 30 or 40 years, they'd be making $650,000 a year. I mean, they've been left behind. And this campaign is about making sure that they're cut in on the deal. Uh, this is a wealthy country and the workers have been left behind. And, and I'm ready to go to the mat for them in the United States Senate. Now, you've got a little bit of an uphill climb just running as a Democrat, running, trying to flip a seat that has been red for a while. And in a state that seems to be moving more to the right. I mean, you've been in Congress since 2003. And over that time, in your district, the voting habits have changed. Mahoning and Trumbull County are now red. Trumbull County, parts of it pretty dark red. Ohio went from a narrow victory for Donald Trump in 2016 to an eight-point victory in 2020. So as a Democrat, how do you flip a seat with the wind seeming to be more strongly in the GOP's favor? Yeah, I just, you know, I appreciate that, but I disagree with the premise. I mean, Trump won actually the six in 16 by eight points and he won in 20 by eight points. And I think that the National Democratic Party has not had an economic message uh, that speaks directly to workers. And, you know, we're taking steps now uh, in the rescue package, for example, where we cut taxes for for families, working families uh, in a significant way. And and 92 percent of families with kids got a pretty significant tax cut. Um, we were able to save pensions for 40,000 uh, workers here in the state uh, through the rescue package. Many of them Teamsters, many of them uh, voted for Donald Trump, uh, big investments in the local communities. And now we're talking about another package of universal preschool, help with child care, paid family leave, uh, dental, hearing and vision. Uh, coverage in the Medicare program for our seniors. So we're trying to take steps to really reduce that huge gap between the wealthiest people in the country and those who have done everything right, giving them some breathing room. And I think when we talk about those issues that are really important to people, those those kitchen table issues, whether they're white or black or brown or men or women or work in manufacturing or service, those people vote for that candidate. And that's what I'm doing. That's what I've done. We've delivered on some of these issues in a significant way. And uh, that's why we're going to win this race. And and so Biden didn't play here either uh, in, in 2020. I mean, there was no uh, investment here. There was no real campaign in Ohio, but he did in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And he was able to flip all three of those states. So that just goes to show you when you have somebody talking about 
bread and butter economic issues. As a Democrat, they win. But look, I'll work with you, and that's that's been uh, something that's been important to me. The last two uh, cycles in Congress, I've been in the top 10 percent in the House of most bipartisan members of Congress. So I'll work with whoever I have to work with to get the job done for working people. So when you talk about bread and butter issues, this is as opposed to, you know, I've interviewed um, at this point, I think all of the Republicans running, save for one who I've talked to a few times, but haven't done the formal podcast with yet. But they are all talking a lot about culture war issues. They're they're talking critical race theory and they're talking about, um, you know, you, you famously gave a fiery floor speech where you talked about them talking about Dr. Seuss. Um, so So you're saying that the National Democratic Party needs to and forgive me, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but basically not sort of take that bait that they need to stick with these bread and butter issues. Is that that's what you're saying is different here? Yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, you know, there's they're trying to start chaos. They're trying to keep the country divided. And, and look, we all have relationships with our spouses, with our kids, with our colleagues, with our friends, with people we work with. We could always find something to disagree on. I mean, there's there's plenty out there. But what I'm trying to uh, do in this campaign is say, look, there's some fundamental things that we, I think we all agree on. And that's workers have been left behind. I mentioned the statistic that if their if workers pay kept up with CEO pay in the last 40 years, they'd be making $650,000 a year. I mean, CEOs have had an 1100% increase in their pay. And, and so like, we should agree on that. We should agree on, we got to bring manufacturing back. Uh, so that we can have good paying jobs that cut workers in on the deal. We need to take on China. They're coming after us economically, culturally. They want us divided because then we can't compete against them. And right now, just to give you one example, China controls over 50% of the electric vehicle market. It's like, look, there's opportunity for our people to go to work here and build those vehicles, build the batteries, build the charging stations, build wind, solar, all of these growing industries. And the, the people on the other side in this campaign want us to be fighting with each other. And I'm saying, look, maybe we don't agree on everything, but let's agree on these fundamental economic issues that people have been left behind. And let's get the work on those. And in 10 years, if we get that all figured out, we can fight about some of this other stuff. Um, but we can't afford it right now. And so we're staying very focused on these economic issues and no one's going to get us off it. And I think that will then end up benefiting uh, hopefully the Democratic Party, if we win a seat in Ohio talking about jobs, wages, and pensions and health care and kids, making sure kids have got a good education and we're manufacturing again, then I think the National Party will will see that that's a winning strategy for us. Now, to that point, before we can you know, begin to think about the general election, is you do now have a primary challenger in, in attorney Morgan Harper. She says she's running as an un, quote unquote unapologetic progressive, says she's looking to put together a coalition of young voters, black voters, inner city voters, and those who quote, those who feel left behind by the political process. Now that sounds pretty similar to uh, a lot of what you just said about re-messaging the Democratic Party. Um, so why would why should the voters go for you as opposed to her when they could say, well, he's been in Washington, I want you know a progressive upstart who's an outsider. Well, the voters are going to have to make that decision and, and and make that calculation. But I've got a long record, as I said, you know, I was instrumental in saving pensions, instrumental in, in making sure that middle class people got a, a tax cut, uh, you know, instrumental in bringing hundreds of millions of dollars back uh, to our community uh, to help us diversify the economy and additive manufacturing, uh, hypersonics and energy incubator and Warren that's helping us really develop uh, the, the jobs of the future, TJX, which is out at the 
uh, out in Lordstown now. Already over a thousand jobs. They have a, a union out there. They're starting at seventeen bucks an hour. Uh, General Motors, LG Chem, a battery plant. You know, uh, supportive of all of these things and have been in it, accomplishing things. So this is not talk. This is like we've accomplished things. You know, things have changed. It takes a long time. It's a lot of work involved, but I've got a proven track record of delivering. And just imagine what we could do in the United States Senate when we're one of a, a hundred in a 50-50 Senate versus, you know, one of 435. Uh, we can really get some stuff done and really launch Ohio to be where Ohio should be. I mean, this is the problem um, in Ohio is that like we, we led in steel. Uh, over the years, whether it was Youngstown or Cleveland or down the Ohio River, we led in rubber in Akron, glass in Toledo, agriculture, aerospace in Southwest Ohio. When Ohio leads, uh, the country dominates the industries uh, that that are out there. And I want Ohio to lead again on electric vehicles, batteries, charging stations, wind, solar. You know, we can do this. We just got to have, I think, a leader who can help galvanize us and push policies to make that happen. I've got a proven record of doing that to, to some extent in our area and want to do that around the state. Uh, one issue that has been front and center to a number of your constituents right now, and that's been dominating our news cycle a lot, is the rising violence in the city of Youngstown, most recently resulting in the death of a 10-year-old child. In the wake of that shooting, community activists and the faith community have called for things like mentorship programs. They've held regular marches for peace on a weekly basis throughout the city. Um, some you know, mayoral candidates and, and your opponent, Morgan Harper, has been at one of them. Um, why up to this point have you been silent on this issue and what would you do to propose, what, what would you propose to do to break the cycle of violence? Oh my gosh, I've been I've been very vocal on, on this. Um, you know, years ago, I got a, a near mark for shot spotters, uh, which is a technology that the city is still using uh, to uh, catch criminals who are doing these these kind of acts. Um, you know, while I'm a supporter of the Second Amendment and you know go hunting, uh, I've been a supporter of making sure that guns don't get in the hands of criminals. Uh, that we have a background check. Why why do these people? Uh, have all these guns. I mean, that's a that's a, a question, you know, that we need to ask. And, you know, a lot of this gets back again to the economic issues uh, in in our cities. Um, you know, we just in the in the rescue package, you know, we're sending uh, close to 80 million dollars to the city of Youngstown for them to use uh, to make sure they can you know use infrastructure and uh, they could use it for hazard pay for the cops who are obviously uh, involved in a lot of this stuff. So I've been not only uh, talking about the importance of reducing violence, uh, you know, you look at some of the, the programs, the social and emotional learning programs uh, that, that we've gotten money for over the years for, for Youngstown City Schools, all the development of trying to create jobs in the city uh, to increase the tax base so that the city has more money to address these problems. It is a significant problem. There's no magic wand. And I think politicizing this uh, is not the answer, but we've we've all got to work together. And I think those things that I mentioned, uh, again, earmarks, money to the local community, uh, you know, support uh, for the local community, for the infrastructure. I've supported uh, money uh, into the city uh, to take down the dilapidated homes, which also increase uh, the issues uh, around crime. So we've we've been there. We sent a bunch of money to the Youngstown City Schools, you know, to continue to try to make sure that education is a priority. 
So we've done a, a significant a number of things, and I think we're just starting to move more in that direction with more national strategies. But all of those need to be implemented if we're going to have some success. And Youngstown, unfortunately, is not alone. It's happening all across the country. Certainly, certainly is. Um, I, I know your time's uh, running short now at this point. So, I mean, the, I guess the last question would be, um, you know, this will be the first time you're not on the ballot for the for this congressional seat. If you were not successful in this Senate race. What's next for Tim Ryan? Well, I'm going to be Baker Mayfield's backup quarterback. I mean, I still got, I, got, <laughs> <laughs> I still got a few throws left in me. Um, you know, we'll cry. I will cross that bridge. We're going to win this race. Uh, we're going to win this race. And I, and I do think that, the, you know, there is a chance that the congressional seat that I held for a long time and, and Jim Trafficant before me, uh, you know, I think that that seat that may get broken up. And I think to, for Valley voters, you know, if you're not going to have a Valley congressman, you can have a Valley uh, representative in the United States Senate, which would be a significant uh, benefit to make sure that somebody from the area is in the Senate advocating for us, even though maybe the congressional seat gets divided up. So um, the Valley will have great representation uh, in two years, no matter what. That's my prediction. All right. Well, Congressman Tim Ryan,